want to invite you to open up to our scripture reading today. We're going to be in the, go- in the gospel. That We will read the gospel. It will be there. I'll point it out. But we're in the book of Ruth. Um, it's toward the beginning of your Bible, chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Ruth, chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. And while you look that up, I want to ask you a question. Who gave you your name? Think about that for just a minute. I have to ask my parents who, who specifically decided what my name was. When, when parents are expecting a child, it's usually the first thing that someone will ask, right? Is, have you picked out a name yet? There's books published with lists of names and their meanings and their origins. Some names are chosen because they're popular. Others are chosen because they represent someone or something. Maybe it's a name handed down. I do know my name was at least in part chosen because it's my father's name. My oldest son's middle name is his great-grandfather because he made him a great-grandfather. And yet, no matter what name was chosen for you or why, it also becomes kind of a chicken and egg situation. People look at a baby, right, and they say, what, what's their name, right? And you say, oh, oh, her name is Molly. And people look and say, well, she looks like a Molly, right? And, and they don't really know that. But as you get older, you kind of blend your personality and who you are into your name. Then there's those names that are given to us later on in life, right? Like by children, mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa, auntie, or maybe your profession, doctor, teacher. Every one of these representing another layer of who we are. Names are significant. And they're significant because they are the linguistic container that carries our identity. Even when we die, our name will be written in the obituary. It will be spoken in the funeral service. It will be fondly remembered, not just as a point in the ancestral timeline of your life, like like the place in which you were born, but your name will carry with it the memories that you share with loved ones, your personality. When your name is spoken, it will remind those that you love of the indescribable presence that your being brought them and that your memory still brings them when you're gone. Names are significant. And names are significant in the story that we are reading as we continue to go through Lent together. Our scripture reading is in Ruth chapter 1, and I asked you to look that up, but I want to bring us up to speed in this story and remind us of the names that we've met so far, especially if maybe you missed the first Sunday. Today is the second Sunday in the season of Lent. We've got five weeks until Easter, and that feels really good when we're tired and we woke up and there's snow on the ground, right? Easter is coming and this season is for us to walk in the footsteps and with and alongside and follow Jesus our Redeemer as he goes to the cross on Good Friday and out the other side on Easter. And what we're doing on Sundays is we are slowly reading through a story that foreshadows this journey. 
It foreshadows this work of God through Jesus generations before in the lives of his ancestors. And so we're still in the first chapter. And last week we began by meeting our main characters. You've got a woman named Naomi. You have her husband, Elimelech. You have their two sons, Malon and Kilion. And they left their hometown of Bethlehem for a place called Moab. And we remember Bethlehem means what? Does any, anybody remember what Bethlehem means? Just yell it out. House of bread, right? I know those of you online, you could type that right in. House of bread. And yet, the house of bread was empty. They were experiencing a famine, and so they left looking for bread, and they found it in Moab, but when they got there, Naomi's husband died, and then their two sons, Malon and Kilion, they they married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and after 10 years, the sons died as well. And after that, Naomi heard that the the famine in Bethlehem was over, and so she decided to go back and leave Moab. Remember, this isn't where she's from. She decided to go back home and return to her family. And one of her daughters-in-law, Orpah, decided to stay behind in Moab because that's what she would do. She could go get remarried and start her life over again. But the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, stubbornly insisted that she would leave her own hometown, that she would leave Moab, that she would leave her country, that she would leave her gods, that she would leave her family, and that she would follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, home. And that's where we pick up our story today. And so if you have your Bible open, take a look at it with me. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Names are significant. And that fact is not lost on Naomi or those who are welcoming her back to Bethlehem after all these years. If you remember from the beginning of the story, Naomi left ten years before this. She was a young woman then. She was married. She had two young sons with their lives ahead of them. That's the way in which she left. And I, it reminded me of, of a funeral that I attended uh, about a year ago. It was a funeral for a friend of mine whose, um, whose father had passed away. And I grew up with this family. And so I went to the funeral, and at that funeral was this group of people that I grew up with. Most of us, we hadn't seen each other for 10 years. Some of us, it's pushing almost 20 years. And so when you see somebody that you haven't seen for all those years, what do you say? Oh my goodness, is that Tom? You used to have hair, right? Well, where did it all go? No, they knew that because of Facebook, right? right? But that's what you do, right? Oh, my goodness, is that Jeremy? 
Oh my goodness, is, is that Ashley? And you know, you know, we got, we got to talking and, and some people were doing great, but others, not so much. Others of us have been through some particularly difficult times, including and especially the friend of ours that we were there to support. She lost her father after he had been sick for quite a long time. He was battling a very grueling disease that they didn't even quite understand. It was, it was long and it was also sudden and painful. And it reminds me that funerals seem to be a common place to have a reunion, aren't they? And they're not the most pleasant of circumstances either. And yet tragedy is one of the moments that draws people that have been far apart back together again. And that's what we have here in Bethlehem. Last week we learned that that the, the name Naomi means sweet or pleasant. And it's a hopeful name. And we can only imagine that the reason that the people in the town are exclaiming, can this be Naomi, is because her life looks anything but pleasant and hopeful. She's been gone for 10 years. She's aged. She's lost her entire family. And with her family, she's lost her hope for her future. And so she feels compelled to, to resolve the cognitive dissonance between her name and her life. And sweet Naomi responds to the question, could this be Naomi, by changing her name. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, a few minutes ago I asked you who gave you your name. The next question I want to ask is, who gets to change your name? Who gets to change your name? Who can change the linguistic container for your identity? And I, I learned a little bit about this process in the process of adopting two of our children. And I learned that in the state of Wisconsin, in order to change your name, there are certain legal processes where it's a little bit easier or it's included in the process. Like when you get married, for example, there's a way in which you change your name through that process. When you're adopted, um, there's a way in which that legal process allows you to change your name. But I also learned that anyone can change their name. And if it's not the results of a marriage or an adoption, you have to go through a legal process. And I see some of you are like, hmm, you're maybe thinking about a name change. So let me give you a little, this is not legal advice. I'm not an attorney, but it's actually pretty easy. You can Google it. There, you have to stand before a judge and you have to explain to them essentially why you're changing your name. You've got to fill out this form. I've got a picture of it. It's CV450, okay, if you're looking for it. Fill it out. This is the petition in the state of Wisconsin. You have to explain what your new name is going to be, what your old name was, why you're changing your name. And then as part of the requirement, you have to publish what they call a third-class notice in the newspaper that's local to your community. And you have to publish your name change three weeks. And then you have to get proof of that, and you have to bring that to the judge. And the reason why is because... One of the reasons that people think about changing their name is they like to run away from who they were. If I change my name, the bank won't know where to find me, right? 
I'm going to show up with a bill and say, Tom DeGroot owes all this money. He's like, Tom DeGroot never met the guy. Look at my birth certificate. I don't know who that guy is. You know what that's called. Fraud. (laughs) And it's illegal. It's illegal, and the law prevents it by by requiring you to publicly proclaim for everybody who knows you, this is who I was, and this is who I am, and here's why I'm changing my name. Now, these laws didn't exist in the same way at the time of Naomi, but if they did, I was kind of going through this, and I think she'd have her legal bases covered. I don't think she needs the newspaper because everybody knows who she is, and if she was filling out the form, this is the way that she would answer it. I want to change my name tomorrow. It is Naomi now, and the reason why is because God has made my life bitter. What do you think the judge would think about that? This is why I'm changing my name. Because God has made my life very bitter and I want everyone to know me from now on. I want them to know me by my bitterness. Now if you go to the verses here, you'll see that that Naomi refers to God in two different ways. The first way is translated in your Bible, you'll see, as almighty. And in Hebrew, it refers to more of a title to God than an actual name. And the title means the one of the mountains. And you'll find it in Genesis, and you'll find it especially used in the book of Job in the face of unexplainable suffering and loss. And so I kind of think of it as kind of like the way in which you might kind of broad stroke, shake your fist at the heavens and go, God, right? Like this is kind of the way that Naomi is referring to God. But it isn't just in that title. You'll see in your Bible in English, Almighty, you'll also see the word Lord. And the word Lord is the name of God. And that comes from the Hebrew name that God himself gave Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It's Yahweh. And so let's do a quick history lesson. Um, you, You may not remember the story. Moses was given this name when he was called by God to be God's instruments to rescue Israel. They were in slavery in Egypt. And if you don't know the whole story, it got a little messy. And and Moses was a little bit skittish. He was known by his own people as a murderer. He had grown up in in the household of the Pharaoh in Egypt, and yet everybody was out to get him. And so he's kind of living off in the wilderness on his own. And God calls him to go back to where he doesn't want to be, and call these people who know him as only a murderer and tell them, God sent me, and you need to follow me, and God is going to provide for you, and he's going to rescue you. And so naturally, because he knows that a name is the linguistic container for our identity, and he knows that his identity isn't going to be enough to get him the credit he needs to do what God's calling him to do, he asks this in verse 13. Moses says to God, suppose I do what you're telling me, to do. Suppose I go to Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is your name? (laughs) What is his name? What shall I tell them? God says to Moses, say, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name and my name is forever. The name you shall call me, this will be from generation to generation. Yahweh, I am I am who I am, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will always be. His name is never changing, and the one who never changes is inviting Israel out of slavery, out of darkness, and back into hope. And the truth is, that same God wants to do the same thing in the life of Naomi. That same God wants to do the same thing in the life of Naomi. And I want to pause here because... She has every reason to be bitter based on what's happened in her life. She has every reason to be bitter. She has lost so much. You would be bitter too. I would question if you were not bitter. We might even blame God. But to change your name... And that's what she proposes to do. To change your name is to make a decision that your identity is now going to be found in your losses. That your very core of your being is going to be in what you have lost. And when you do that, you miss the glimpses of hope that God is placing all around you. Just let's look back for a minute. Look at verse 21. She says this to all these people. Oh my goodness, is that Naomi, right? Is that Tom used to have hair? Is that Naomi? She used to have a husband and sons and all this stuff. And she says this. She says, 10 years ago, I left Bethlehem am full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, you know part of the story by now. Did she really leave Bethlehem full? Did she leave Bethlehem full? No. There was a famine in Bethlehem. They left because their stomachs were empty. Do you ever look back on different times in your life and think about them a little bit rosier than they actually were? That's nostalgia, right? That's what she's saying. This is the time of the judges. You had to know that, that she wasn't the only one that was hungry in Bethlehem. If you read the history, which is in the book just before Ruth, what you will find is that this was a brutal time for Israel. And Naomi is not the only person in Bethlehem who's lost her husband. She is not the only person in Bethlehem who has lost her sons. And so now she comes back. And she says to these people, she says that she's come back empty. I, I was full, and now I'm empty. Okay, well, she wasn't full before. And then she says, now I'm empty. And you got to ask yourself, is she really empty? And the question that I would ask is, how do you think that Ruth felt when she said that to the people that greeted her? She shows up and she says, nobody cares about me. There's nobody in my corner. I've got nothing to be thankful for. And you just got to wonder, Ruth is standing right there. Don't you think she's looking at her mother-in-law and like, wait a minute. What about me? Right? Didn't I just leave everything? Didn't I just leave my family and my hope and my country and my gods? Didn't I just leave all of that to stay with you? Naomi is not empty. She has Ruth. 
And she's come back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, because it's full of bread again. You see this? And yet she misses all of those details, all of those glimpses of hope, because she has chosen to be known for what she has lost. And the truth is, that's what bitterness does. That's what bitterness does, is it defines who we are and it robs us of our hope in a God who does not change and our hope that that God who does not change can change even the most dire of circumstances. And I love how the narrator of this story, we don't know who the author is, but I love how the author of the story chooses to tell this last verse. So Naomi says, call me Mara. She makes her case, right? Like, there's an economy of words in Scripture. You've got to believe that that every word is there intentionally. And, And this is a very short book. I mean, just this morning I was reading it in my devotional time, and I read the whole thing just because I needed to be reminded of the hope that was to come. And I love this part, right? So, So Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm changing my name. Here's what you're to call me. And then the author completely ignores her request. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab. Call me Mara. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. It's as if the person writing the story just said, hey, Naomi, We need to talk. We need to talk. You could tell the world to call you whatever you want, but this is not your story. This is God's story, and God isn't finished yet. And so while you might feel bitter now, that is not who you are. And so as I write this story, I'm not going to stop calling you Naomi. You can throw that form away. The judge is denying your request because God will make your life sweet again. All you need is faith. Just watch. And friends, do you know that God is also the narrator of your life? (laughs) He is. And if God is also the narrator of your life and mine, it is God who gives us our name. It is God who gives us a new name. Look at Galatians 4. As we are adopted into the family of God, our name is as his son and as his daughter. And if that is true, and it is, then he wants to say the same thing to you and me. Have faith. And what is faith? Hebrews 11. It is is confidence in what we hope for. And it is the assurance of what we do not see. All Naomi sees right now is what she has lost. And that means she's going to have to have faith to see what she cannot see. And the truth is, so do we. So do I. And I was reminded of that just on Friday. I I read an article. It summarized a report that was put out on Thursday by the American Psychological Association. They've been doing this for about 15 years, the APA. It's an annual poll that is titled Stress in America. (laughs) And and they do this this poll. Uh, They poll over 3,000 people every year. And they just came out with the results, and and they revealed that 87% of those that were surveyed said that their mental health 
has been greatly impacted by what has felt like, quote, a constant stream of crisis without a break over the last two years. And so then I was like, okay, I, I got to read the source. And so I went straight to the APA website, and I was reading their, their actual um, reports and some of the findings, and they talked about inflation. <laughs> they actually had to do another, another study to follow up because of the invasion of Ru- Russia invading Ukraine. And so they did another study to get the impact of that. Uh, of course, it's the pandemic, not just the death, but also the, the response and, 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 and the, the strife between different opinions and politics and all of that. But they looked at the results and they said they've been doing this for like 15 years, if I remember right. And they said that the results this year were startling and it wasn't because they found people were stressed out. They do this because people are stressed out all the time. And that's why they do this report. They've been doing it for, for years. But what was unique about this year's report is that most people said they were stressed out about the same things. See, usually we're stressed out about different things. Sometimes some people are stressed out about relationships, others about money, others about health, whatever it might be. But for the first time in the history of this survey, they found that most people are actually stressed out about the same things. We're stressed out about the core same things. We might not agree on how to handle those things, but we do seem to agree that those things are stressing me out, us out. America seems to be collectively calling out and saying, call me Mara, I'm bitter. And I read that, and I have to tell you, the first response that I had was I thought, I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> I mean, don't you feel good about that? Especially the part where they talked about all the people that at the beginning of the pandemic were like, great, I'm going to lose weight. And then they didn't. (laughs) And I was like, thank you. (laughs) I'm not alone. Life has been enormously stressful, hasn't it? It has been incredibly stressful for everyone. And there's a peace about that. There's a comfort about not being alone. But... With that stress also comes the temptation that Naomi faced, and we all face this temptation. And that isn't just to feel bitter, but it is to allow that bitterness to begin to define us. I think that happens when you go through a season that is prolonged, like the season that we're in, and we don't know when this season is going to end. And so the temptation is that we might begin to allow that bitterness to define our identity. And sure, you're not going to walk around like Naomi and say, start calling me by a different name. But when you adopt bitterness as your identity, let me tell you, people know. People know. Ask the people around you. Ask the people you live with. It comes out in your attitude, doesn't it? It comes out in the things that we share on social media. Oh my goodness, it comes out in the things that we share on social media. It comes out in the way we judge others. And the damage here is the same. It's in those moments we miss the glimpses of hope that God is placing in our lives when we take on a name without the faith that God is going to carry us through. And it reminds me of The Gospel of John, Jesus calls the disciples, and I'll leave you with this. One of the disciples' name is Andrew, and and he begins to follow Jesus. And in John chapter 1, very beginning, verse 41, it says this. This is the first thing that Andrew did 
was he found his brother Simon. It says he found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now I love this. I love this story. It's like Andrew meets Jesus and the first thing he thinks is I got to tell my brother. (laughs) My brother needs Jesus. My brother, maybe he's even thinking my brother's bitter. I got to drag him into this with me. And so he goes and he tells his brother and his brother comes to Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is he gives Simon a new name, Peter. Peter, which means rock. This rock that Jesus would set apart to be the rock on which he will build his future church. And throughout the rest of the gospel story, you will see John continue. And he knew Peter well. And he continues throughout the story to refer to him not only by his old name, Simon, but he continually refers to him as Peter. And it makes sense in places like John chapter 6 when when Jesus talks about being the bread of life and and people start to get confused as he talks about death and and, and people start to leave and and, and Jesus looks at the disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter, John calls him Peter, says, no, you have the words of eternal life. He's the rock, right? But see, John also refers to Simon Peter by his new name in John 18. If you open up John 18, that's the moment when Jesus is being sent to the cross and Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. And yet John still refers to him in those moments too as Peter, by his new name, the rock. Is it because he felt like a rock in that moment? Is it because he was acting like a rock in that moment? No, it is because like the author of Ruth, John knows the end of the story. That when God gives you a new name, no matter where you go, what you do, or what happens to you, your identity in him will never change. Because that identity is as a child of God. That he is always with you. He will never change. And so neither will your hope in him. And so let's bring that before the Lord right now in prayer. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, your gospel is found in this story of Ruth, and it isn't just found in the end, it is found on every page, in every word. As we look out at our world, it is so easy to feel bitter and hopeless. And it would be so easy for us to take on those feelings, that mourning, that pain, and take it upon ourselves as our identity that we now are that pain, that we now are that bitterness. It's natural. 
The story of Ruth shows us our own story. Even if we don't change our name, we walk around and call ourselves bitter and everyone knows it. They can see it. And so, Lord, maybe the first thing we need to pray about is a prayer of confession. We confess that we have changed our name. And because we have changed our name, we have lost sight of the hope that we have in you. Forgive us for that. And Lord, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of the faith that we need in order to be able to see ourselves the way you do by our new name as a son or daughter of the King, of God himself. A God who does not change, and so in the face of everything changing, we can have faith, which is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see, especially when we're feeling bitter. You are the author of our story and you are the author of the stories of every person across the world in every time and in every place and your story is not finished yet. And so God, would you bring to our minds and to the eyes of our minds and our hearts the glimpses of your hope that we see in our lives right now. Is there a Ruth in my life that I have been taking for granted In my own pity and bitterness, have I failed to see the people in my life who love me the way that you love me, God? Help me to see that and be thankful. Have I failed to see that the house of bread is full, that you have sustained me with what I need to get through this day, even if inflation and the unknown of tomorrow is causing concern? May I remember that right now as we speak and as we pray, you have given me what I need to live. May I be thankful. And may we be like Simon Peter as we watch our story of life unfold and be reminded that you are the one writing the story. And that our new name in you is not contingent upon our faith being a faith that we can muster on our own, but it is a faith that you give us as a gift of your grace.